We are in uh, Joshua chapter 2. And um, just before I start heading into Joshua chapter 2, just want to give you a quick headline of last week when Ollie spoke from chapter 1. So uh, Keith, if you can put that first slide up. So this is last week, right? This is the, one of the headlines from last week when Ollie spoke. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. So that's where we began last week. Now, today, chapter 2, we're going to be looking at the story of Rahab. And Rahab was a traitor, a liar, and a prostitute from Canaan, which might sound like a bit of a gear crunch of heading into, here's a woman that we're talking about as a traitor, a liar, and a prostitute. That's true. That's why it's on the screen, because it was true. The story really is about the mercy of God. So that's true, and the story shows the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God, which is where we're going to be today. So uh, all these verses are from the ESV translation, and just into the first verse of chapter 2, it says this, and Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, go, view the land, especially Jericho. I will head to my Bible for the next bit rather than the screen. Fortunately, I have a Bible right here. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. So, as these two spies go, just want to ask and answer a couple of questions. Firstly, we saw from chapter one last week that God has said to Joshua, just go into the land. I've given you the land. The land that I've promised to your forefathers, it's yours. Go, take it, it's yours. I promised it, it's yours for the taking. So why did Joshua send two spies? Why didn't he just say, great, let's go. Why did he send two spies? Two reasons why that might have been. The first reason is sensible and diligent and he wanted to go and view what was happening and just take a bit of a snapshot of what was going on in Canaan. I don't think personally that's why. I think it was still some fear and trepidation and that Joshua had just taken over leadership of Israel from Moses. Moses who spoke with God. The great Moses, the one that spoke face to face with God. Joshua was often with Moses and Joshua was the one who saw a lot of the benefits of Moses and Moses' communion, communication with God. But Joshua never had the responsibility. Joshua never needed the responsibility of being the one that spoke to God. He was the one that was there going, this is great. And suddenly, Joshua is told, Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now it's your turn. Now you go and lead. Just as David Moyes, Sir Alex Ferguson has retired take over, lead Manchester United further into the glory land. Fortunately, as a Liverpool fan, David Moyes did not do that. Good. But, you know, the weight of responsibility on Joshua was huge. 
So my thoughts, my studies, my thinking is that when Joshua sent these two men secretly, you don't need to be sent secretly as a spy. You need to arrive secretly to spy, but you don't need to be sent secretly. So when he sent these two men secretly, he was saying, let's just go and check to make sure that we can move into the promised land. Let's go and check to make sure that it's not still a land of high walls and giants that we're still going to be frightened of as we were 40 years ago when Moses sent 12 spies out and 10 of them came back going, walls are too high, people are too big, can't be done. I think that that's why Joshua sent two spies to just go and make sure that was going to be okay. The next thing, just in that first verse, and they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Just want to quickly answer the sort of strange question that might jump into our minds there of, why did they go to the house of a prostitute? Seems like a strange thing to do. Two reasons there. Firstly, Rahab's house, as we see later on in this chapter, Rahab's house was built into the city walls. And when she hides the spies, she hides them on the roof. So we know that Rahab's house is built into the wall that surrounds the city. And we know that there's a roof there to get onto, which means good vantage point to look across the city. If you're a spy, good place to go. Also, if you're a spy, trying not to be found out and you want to blend in, probably the house of a prostitute is a place to go because you're going to blend in and no one's going to notice you there. So that's why I think they went to the house of a prostitute. And into the next verses, have you got them there? Great, yeah, thanks Keith. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. So if these were the best two spies that Joshua had, they weren't that good because as soon as they got to the entrance of the city, the king of Jericho found out they were there. So, yeah, not great spies, maybe. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, and I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. If you could just back it up one slide there, Keith. Thanks. So this is the point where Rahab... The prostitute, who we already know, because she's been introduced to us as Rahab the prostitute. Firstly, she commits treason against the king of Jericho, because her allegiance should be to Canaan and should be to Jericho. The first thing she did when she received spies from the enemy land was say, come in and I'll help you. So she commits treason against the king of Jericho. And then she lies her way through the next thing, all the way through it. So where she says here, true, the men came to me. Well, that's true. But I did not know where they were from. That's a lie. When the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. That's a lie. Pursued them quickly, uh, sorry. And the, and the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. That's a lie. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly for you will overtake them. Lots of lies, right? So, as tough as it sounds when we started, Rahab is a prostitute. She commits treason and she lies. And um, 
This particular passage has given lots of people sort of theological problems to work out in that God's about to use Rahab, who has just proved herself to be a liar, and she lies so that God can help. And it's kind of like, how does that work? So let me throw these two words in, kind of sociological words, objective morality. So there is a school of thought, train of thought, and logically as well, that if there's two options and one of them is true and the other one is morally right, the one that's morally right always trumps the one that's true. Okay, so on this occasion, when um, the Canaanite soldiers arrived at Rahab's house, her choice was either lie and save the Israelite spies, tell the truth, and then the Israelite spies are killed. So objectively speaking, the morally right thing to do is protect the spies. Okay? And there is a, uh, there's a verse in Proverbs which, which does back this up. Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it's in your power to do it. So Rahab had it in her power to help the spies not withhold good from them, and she did. Which then, you might go, well, that's true, but surely one of the Ten Commandments says, do not lie, which is also true, right? Um, so if I land here, in the middle, well, actually not in the middle, um, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So even at our morally best, even at, here's my choice, it's a good one, I've saved people, even then, humans fall short of the glory of God. We may be morally right, but in terms of God, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And by the mercy of God and by the grace of God, throughout the Bible, he uses human failure. He uses human sin and says, that's wrong but I can use it. And by my mercy, I can take you and fulfill my purposes. We're going to walk our way through this whole chapter. Okay, so now we head into verse eight. Verse eight to verse 11. Before the men lay down, so she's about to hide, hide the men on the roof. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, so this is Rahab's sermon on the roof of her house, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sinai and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God. He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. You can keep that slide there for a second, Keith. Now, this is another, or this whole book, is a book that gives a lot of us issues to deal with in terms of uh, the judgment of God. And we're going to head in a few weeks' time to where God commands Joshua and the Israelites to utterly devote to destruction the land of Canaan. And this gives us humans 
an issue to deal with. Does God just arbitrarily decide that people shouldn't live? Does he wake up one day and go, Canaanites, the end, off you go. And we're going to head into that properly to answer it in a few weeks' time. But just to kind of frame who the Canaanites are and the people that Rahab was coming out of, coming from. Okay? And this next bit, um, Keith, if you can put that Molech um, graphic up, please. Thanks. Uh, this next two minutes is pretty uncomfortable. So if, if you're watching on the live stream and you've got kids in the room with you, this next bit is a little, it's not, it's not pleasant, okay? What I'm about to say, or, or if there's any kids still left in here, this is an unpleasant thing, but it's necessary, okay? So one of the Canaanite gods was Molech. There's a depiction of Molech. And on the surface, Ignore the idol for a minute. On the surface, it doesn't look too different to what we've been doing today. There's a band there. There's people with their arms raised. They're in worship, right? That's what's happening on that picture, which is a massively toned down picture from the truth and the reality of it. On the surface, it looks pretty similar to what we've just done, okay? But here's the thing. Here's the truth about the people of Canaan, right? That idol there, Molech, was a god of molten metal. So the reason there's fire all around Molech there is that inside the belly of Molech was stoked with coals and that entire structure was red hot. Okay? So what's actually happening there is there's a Canaanite sacrificing their own baby to Molech by putting the baby onto the outstretched molten hot hands of Molech and that's how they sacrificed to their God. They took their newborn babies and they put them on the red hot outstretched hands of their God and the babies burnt to death. That's what they did. The band is there. The first century Greek uh, historian Plutarch said that the band here, 1500 or so BC, they weren't playing songs like we've just done, like we've just sung. The band was there to make as much noise as possible so that the parents of the Canaanite babies didn't hear their babies being burnt alive. So the band is entirely, let's make a racket, because actually this is horrific, destructive, horrible child sacrifice to a false god. And this is who the people of Canaan were. So when God said, utterly devote the Canaanites to destruction, he wasn't arbitrarily saying, I think I've had enough of Canaan now. He was saying, for 400 years, I've offered mercy to these people. And God always offers mercy and offers mercy and offers mercy, always offers mercy. And after 400 years, God said, okay, if you won't turn and receive mercy, then you'll receive justice. And that's what's behind it. And that's who, if you can go back a slide, please, Keith. That's who Rahab was part of. Those are the people Rahab was part of. So she was a traitor and a liar and a prostitute from a people who sacrificed children to a god of molten metal as their worship. That's who she was. But we can see here actually who she has become and where she goes. That last... Last verse there. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. So as soon as, soon as they heard 
that the Israelites were on their way, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. So these are the people who, when Moses sent the spies into, into Canaan in the first place 40 years ago, the Israelites came back and said, these people are too big, we can't take them. Suddenly now, as far as the people of Canaan are concerned, as soon as we heard you were on your way to destroy us, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, Israelites. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So for this, Rahab can be put to death herself because now she's also turned her back on her God and said, the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So God's begun to take a traitorous prostitute who's part of a people who sacrificed babies to their idol and in his mercy he's turned towards her and she's turned towards him and said I know that actually the Lord is God the God of heaven and earth he's the one that I need to follow not Molech not the king of Jericho I need to follow the God of heaven and earth if you can go on to the next, uh, next verses please Keith and then um, Rahab says this to the spies now then please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sign that you will save alive my father and mother my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death and the men said to her our life for yours even to death If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Rahab knows that if she, um, we'll come to that one in a sec. Keep that one there actually, Keith. uh, Verse 15, that'd be great. Rahab knows that if she says to the spies, swear to me by the Lord, I want you to swear to me by the Lord that you're going to save me and not just me, but my family as well. She knows that that is the highest, strongest, most unbreakable vow she can ask of them. I want you to swear by the Lord that you're going to protect me and save me. And boldly she comes to them and says, I know who I am, but I know who God is. I know who the God of heaven and earth is. And I want you to swear to me by him that you will save me and protect me boldly. So this traitorous lying prostitute comes to them and says, I know who I am, but I know who God is. And I want mercy. And that's it. Then you shall receive mercy. You shall not receive justice for what you've done. You shall receive mercy. Because you've come and said, I want mercy. I want to take mercy, please. If that's the option, I'll have that. Which is good. It's a good thing. So, then if you uh, go to 15 to 21, please, Keith. Shall I go to my Bible? Then she let them down by rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, as I said earlier, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days, until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, we'll be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. 
Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window. Take note of that scarlet cord in the window. Through which you let us down. And you should gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we should be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we should be guiltless with respect to your oath that you've made us swear. And then she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Ollie was talking last week about the ripple effect or the ripples that we see kind of going through the Old Testament into, towards and into the New Testament. And a little ripple that happens here is the scarlet cord that Rahab ties in the window is a little kind of look at when um, in Egypt, if there was sacrificial blood on the doorpost, the angel of death would pass over the whole household. And, and spared them from death, spared them from judgment. And then here we have Rahab putting the scarlet cord in her window and her whole household is spared from destruction by the Israelites. And then that points, obviously that points forwards for us into Jesus' sacrifice. Come to him, blood on the doorpost, scarlet cord, blood of Jesus shed on the cross. Come to him, receive mercy. Not justice, receive mercy. So there's a lovely little ripple of what's happening through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And then the very final bit of this story, and I'll kind of explain how we can apply this story to ourselves as well in a second. The last bit is this. So verse 22 and on to 24. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, listen to this bit. Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also, all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. So where they had fearfully gone in 40 years earlier and said, this is too scary, too big, and we can't do it. Even if Joshua's motive was a little bit fear-driven at the beginning when he sent these two not very good spies into the, into the land to see what was going on, they come back saying, everybody there is scared of us because of God. We can go <laughs> because of God, because they're terrified because of God. So... We might as well go, Joshua. It turns out God was right. And he's leading us into this land, which is good. <laughs> Let me just kind of um, summarize and apply this story to us, because it's an amazing story of mercy. Yes, this woman is a prostitute and a traitor and a liar. Yeah, that's true. But she also knows who she is and she knows who God is. And she doesn't follow a false god and she turns her allegiance away from the king of Jericho to the god of heaven and earth and in Hebrews chapter 11 Hebrews chapter 11 she's mentioned there by faith 
Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. James chapter 2 also mentions her, calls her Rahab the prostitute. It's fascinating that she's called Rahab the prostitute in the New Testament. It's true, she is, but it's interesting that she's still called Rahab the prostitute there. Let me ask you a question. Uh, Probably this question won't be very popular, but let me ask you anyway. I asked my wife this question yesterday just to check that I'd be all right asking this. Turn to the person next to you and tell them the worst thing you've ever done. Everyone's laughing. Andy, everyone's laughing. Do you want me to give you some more time? No? Okay. When I said to my wife yesterday I was going to ask this question, she thought about it and then she told me what the worst thing she thought she'd ever done was. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, And it is so much not as bad as all the things that I've done. It's like, oh no. Um, Not a good question, right? And I'm guessing because nobody did it. (laughs) So we're all happily still in the dark about what we've all done. But, but, if we were to do that, we'd come up with a pretty bad list of stuff we've all done between us. I could tell you the worst three things I've done in my life now, and it would be horrific. And I'm not going to do that, because I'm just not going to do that. Um, if we did, we'd all come up pretty short in terms of things we've done. I'm not saying this to condemn anyone. That's not the purpose of this. The purpose is the mercy of God. Because actually, regardless of what we've all done, and we've all done bad things, and some of us have done horrific things, and I have, actually, as it says there, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish. By faith... Andy did not perish. By faith, Elaine did not perish. By faith, Mike did not perish. By faith, Sally did not perish. By faith, Ollie did not perish. By faith, Mary did not perish. By faith in God, Rahab did not perish. And there's one more place where Rahab the prostitute is mentioned, but she's not called Rahab the prostitute. There's no slide for this one, Keith. She's not called Rahab the prostitute. In Matthew chapter one, the genealogy, which is basically the family tree of Abraham to Jesus, so the bloodline from Abraham through 42 generations to Jesus the Messiah. About 10 generations in, there's Rahab the prostitute. Only she's not called Rahab the prostitute there. She's Rahab, the mother of Boaz. Rahab, the great-grandmother of King David, the second king of Israel. Rahab, who two dozen or so generations later, the person born was Jesus the Messiah, which is pretty merciful of God, that actually you might be Rahab the prostitute, but actually you've been grafted in to the family of Jesus. You're not Rahab the prostitute, you're Rahab, the great-grandmother of King David, And in your family line, there's Jesus. That's pretty merciful of God. That's pretty merciful of a God to turn towards the people and say, if you turn towards me, I will save you. Rahab, turn towards me, and not only will I save you, but I'll graft you into my family to the extent that you're actually going to be a blood relative of Jesus. How does that sound, Rahab? And all you've got to do is turn and go, okay, 
That's a good idea. Thank you, God of heaven and earth. I'll take that. This is what happened. It's pretty amazing. And one of our, Keith, if you can go back to that other sl- uh, slide with Hebrews, please. One of the things that Ollie mentioned last week, one of our visions that we're going to be, um, I mean, putting into print is, I've just used the word putting into print. I'll back up and pretend that I didn't. One of the things we're called to do is to go in mission and service. And you might be thinking, but I'm Rahab the prostitute. What on earth is God going to do with me? And God's answer is, no, no, no. You're Rahab grafted in to Jesus' family. Grafted in to the family of God. Yep, you were Rahab the prostitute, but now, no, no. You're grafted into Jesus. You're part of Jesus. You're part of his body now. And there's people who, you know, this is, this is an obvious statement, but as we go in mission and service, as we go and tell people about Jesus, we just prayed about Alpha coming up. Oh, man, there's people desperately searching for something. I've been, I've been in this um, back and forth email conversation for a couple of months with uh, two Jehovah's Witnesses that live in Hamden Park. And I, I've been emailing back and forth with them because they asked me some questions. And our emails are turning into essays. My reply is another essay and their questions back to me. But yeah, if you say that, how can you say this? And so on. So we've been going back and forth for a couple of months. And it's been amazing because I've been able to share the entire gospel with them and cross-reference verse by verse by verse. Not, not so that I can beat them and go, ha my gospel, my God's better than your God at all. That's not the purpose. The purpose is, oh no, you are following a false God and you need to turn away from that and you need to turn towards Jesus who lived and died and rose again and ascended to heaven and you need to follow him. And that's the whole motivation for continually developing, and it's been nice developing a kind of pen pal relationship of playing Bible chess with, with people. But the whole motivation should be and is, you know, no, I just want you to know the truth. I just want you to know that Jesus turns towards you mercifully and just wants you to accept him. And then the question comes back, yeah, but if this, if that, if that, if that, it's like, ah, no, just turn towards God and accept him. And this week, uh, you might have seen in the news this week, the UK tried and convicted the youngest ever terrorist this week. So this week, a 14-year-old boy was tried and convicted of terrorism offences in this country. I read that. It's like, my oldest daughter turns 14 in a few months' time, and I have no earthly idea how a 14-year-old becomes a convicted terrorist. I just don't. We may not be in 1500 BC, Canaan, sacrificing babies, and all the things they did, but we are in 2022 Eastbourne, following false gods and convicting 14-year-olds of terrorism, and that's where we are, and where God called Joshua to go into the promised land, to go and take the land, to go and serve him. Equally, God calls us to go into town into the surrounding areas, to Alpha, 
to anything, into work, into school, into your next door neighbor's houses, because God always displays his mercy and says, don't opt for justice, opt for mercy. Please opt for mercy. And as awful as that picture of Molech and the baby sacrifice was, 2022 Eastbourne, it's not much different, really. And God still turns his face towards people and says, turn towards me while you can. So that's why we, and I've been massively challenged with this over the past couple of months, that's why we need to go and serve and go in mission and service and go and preach the gospel to people that so desperately need to hear it. And that's really what we can take from the story of Rahab. This treasonous, lying prostitute from an idolatrous, awful nation just turned towards God and said, I'd like mercy, please. I'll put a scarlet cord in the window. Can I have mercy instead of judgment, justice? And God says, of course you can. That's it. I don't know if the band is still here. The band's here? There's the band. Shall we stand together? I'm just going to pray. And Rich and Caleb and the band will lead us. Father, I want to thank you that everything we believe was done by you. We don't follow we don't follow a God that demands sacrifice from us to appease him. We don't follow a God who, who we don't know. We don't follow a God that just gives us a list of things they've got to do to appease him. But actually you're a God. You're the true God. You're the God of heaven and earth, as Rahab said, that actually you've done it all. All we need to do is turn towards you and say, I'd rather have mercy than justice, please. And then you take us and graft us in to yourself, graft us into your family. You can take a prostitute and you can say, you know what? You're actually going to become a blood relative of Jesus the Messiah. That's what I can do with you. That's what my mercy can do. If you turn towards me and just accept it, that's what I can do. You're not a prostitute. You're one of my children. And God, we want to thank you. for. Uh, there's no way we can repay you, ever. But we want to go and serve you and go and tell people about you and go and say to people, just turn towards God and accept his mercy. Opt for mercy. And Father, as we do that, help us do that. Give us boldness. As you said to Joshua, be bold and courageous. And we've seen that Joshua wasn't particularly bold or courageous at the start. And at the start, he's called Moses' assistant. But by the end of the book, in chapter 24, he's called servant of the Lord. He's your servant by the end. And he says, as for me and my house, we'll worship the Lord. So Father, help us worship you now and help us go in mission and service to tell people about the God who turns towards us and says, just accept mercy.